0: I'm grateful that you're here today. Again, welcome to Four Bible Church. If this is uh, uh, just kind of one of your first couple Sundays or your first Sunday, you came at a good time. Uh, last week we talked about personal biblical leadership. If you were here last week, we talked about what eldership looks like and how elders are your pastors. It was a beautiful time of just of defining that clearly for us as a church. Right now in our teaching cadence, we're between series, and uh, what Josh does is he allows uh, some space in between series to do some pertinent messages out of the scripture that are going to help you understand where we're going as a church and who we are. And so if you're new, that's awesome, and you get to kind of see what you're signing up for if you want to put a ring on it. That's what we say. Uh, Well, right now, today, as we're uh, a church plant that's building, not built— it's important that we take some time to stop and so that you know what you're a part of and where we're going. Uh, like I said, last week was personal biblical leadership. This week, we're talking about personal biblical discipleship. Um, this year, we took a group of team leads, a group of uh, people in our ministry, partners who are leading ministries at Fort Bible Church, and we put them in a little tiny conference room at Fort Worth Coffee Co. with a whiteboard, and we just whiteboarded uh, how Fort Bible Church is going to operate. What would it be? look like for us to be a success, right? Like how do, how do we know that Four Bible Church is doing what it said it's going to do? Uh, and so if you missed last week again, you know that we don't uh, measure our church by buzz, buildings, budget, or butts, which is the typical metrics of the day, but we do measure ourselves based on the spiritual formation of the people here. True life change, that your life would be dramatically changed by Jesus, because it's possible and it's powerful. And so we had tried to figure out, are we heading that direction? And, and what is it going to look like for us to do so? So we gathered uh, th- that team, and then we gathered all of our partners for what was called our Sherpa training, Sherpa training. We did two, two uh, days of Sherpa training. And for some of the partners in this room, you've heard a little bit of this, of this before. But I'm going to encourage you, if you've heard this before, or if you know what discipleship is, you're coming in thinking, I know what discipleship is, I want to remind you, you never graduate from this. Ever. And so, what the word is exposing for us today is something that you're never going to graduate from, and it's something I even need to hear today. And so, I'm going to ask you to do something hard, a little difficult. Some of you have ministry experience in here, and some of you don't. Uh, And you can come into this room in one of two ways you can come into this room with a posture of expectation or a posture of evaluation. And I'm going to challenge you to come into this training or this this text today with a posture of expectation, that God is going to show you something. He's going to reveal something to you, and it's going to edify you in your walk with him. The opposite of that is coming into this room with a a posture of evaluation, saying, well, I I know this. i kind of done this before, and so um, I don't really need to know this. And I want to tell you, and I want to reframe that some for you, Because if your posture sits here with evaluation, you're not going to grow in this text. If you come with a posture of expectation, though, uh, who knows what God's going to do? You guys cool with that? All right. So let's jump in. Sound good? Nice. In the summer of 2014, Claire and I took a trip uh, to see her sister in Colorado. And the entire time I was itching to climb a mountain, I got the itch. Uh, I just wanted to go and clear my head. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I wanted to clear my head. So I got to Colorado. We landed, got to my sister-in-law's place. I pulled up my computer, and I just Googled climbing tall things in Colorado. Uh, And the name of this specific thing kept coming up and popping up over and over again, something I'd never heard of. It was a designation to describe a specific type of hike uh, that people do. And I had never seen it before, so I was like, I guess I'll do one of those. And that designation is a 14er, a 14er. So it's 14,000 feet and the air is what I was like, I'll climb that, let's do it, who cares? Um, so I picked one on the map and I drove west on Highway 70 out of Denver and I tried to find my mountain. Well, I got lost and so I stopped to find a gas station and asked for directions. I stopped off at this rickety old gas station and uh, he said, okay, what you're gonna do is you're gonna go two exits up and then you'll exit and you'll see the trailhead sign that's up the road. So I bought an eight-ounce bottle of Ozarka water. Ozarka? Is that how you say it? Ozarka? Yeah. Ozarka water, and I got back to my adventure. Uh, I take the exit, and as soon as I take the exit, I see this sign. Okay? This is the picture I took. You see the sign. It says Gray's Peak, which is the one I was trying to climb. Then there's a little man who looks like he's hiking. Are we all in agreement? I'm not crazy. Okay, great. So, And there's a mountain there. I found my sign. This is where I'm supposed to go. So I park the car and I kind of just take off walking. I have a a fanny pack with uh, really just my phone. I have uh, an eight ounce bottle of water, some brand new hiking boots, and I take off. And I walk for about five miles. And I think there's a picture of the road. And it was a beautiful wide road. I think it's the next one. I I was walking along this path and I get there and I turn the corner on this wide road and then I see this sign that says, Grace Peak Trailhead. (laughs) So those of you who are catching up still, I was walking on the road to the trailhead. The adventure had yet begun. (laughs) I I had found the cars where my car was supposed to be and I thought back, well, there was no cars where my car was. Uh, And so I found the trailhead at that moment. I was on this road, this wide, easy road to to the trail the entire time. And the sign, I walked up to another little sign that said, uh, caution, 14,000 foot hike contains many dangerous elements. It said, quote, be prepared for uncomfortable situations. I said, "Be, be sure to have at least a gallon of water. I looked down at my eight ounce Ozarka bottle. Have winter wear and spikes for snow top, which are called crampons you kind of put on the bottom of your boots. None of that. Pack lots of food because exhaustion is likely. I have an iPhone. You can't eat that. I look at my fanny pack, and that's all that's there. But gosh darn it, I was going to get up this mountain. I'd walked five miles just to get to it, and I could see it at that point. So uh, about two miles in, I'm walking up this mountain. I got got a good view of it. I'm at the very bottom thinking, I'm going up there today. It's going to be awesome. About two miles in, uh, my fingers start to swell. And I couldn't take my wedding ring off because uh, they were swelling, which is a sign of dehydration. Not good. No bueno. Uh, I had a splitting headache. And uh, about, about three miles in, I ran out of my eight ounces of water. Uh, after that, after, as soon as I ran out of water, I slipped and fell and busted my knee open. So there's blood, I'm swollen like a balloon, and I'm still trekking. And out of nowhere, I hear a voice. It wasn't the voice of God. That's not that kind of sermon. Uh, and I heard this voice, and he said, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I turned around, and I said, well... I'm not so sure. And he said, well, I can see that. Uh, I said, I'm here to climb this mountain, sir. And he said, no, you're not. I said, "I, I really would like to. And he said, okay, let me show you the way. God has made the Christian life to be one that's inexplicably tied to others, to show you the way. One where you to, in turn, show others the way. And an incredible feat of genius, right? Jesus Christ, before he leaves, his last words to his people, a few bumbling people, was, I've chosen you to help other people navigate the trials and, and path of apprenticeship under me. That's God's A-team, his first choice, his plan A. This phrase, let me show you, is all throughout the New Testament. And it's the basis for what we call Sherpaing at Fort Worth Bible Church. Because in a culture that's soaked with people that are telling you how to do something, Jesus employs people who are determined to show them how to travel to him. And my fear is that some of us have been given bad directions. And and those directions are setting us on a road that are not actually the journey. It's a misguided path. Those five miles in between where I parked and where the trailhead is is where a lot of us are stuck spiritually. We find ourselves on a hamster wheel, a fruitless path of, okay, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm on the Jesus train, and now and if I look at my life, it's fruitless. I'm, I'm wandering, and I'm not experiencing. He said that there was an abundant life. Where is that at? I, am I missing something? And I think what's happened is that there's a path that tends to ensnare us. It dupes us it's the path before the abundant life, the road to the trailhead, if you will. And I'll be really frank with you. Satan's going to bless that path. There is an enemy. He's real. And he's going to do everything to bless the five miles before you get to the actual journey of apprenticing under Jesus Christ. The life with him, with mountain in view, pursuing this Jesus... And some of our bad directions have stalled our summit seeking, right? If Jesus is the summit, have stalled our summit seeking, and stalled our help uh, our helping others to summit seek. You've heard us say this before. The church is something we're gonna talk about today. And right now we're stuck in a bankruptcy of discipleship where the gospel's preached to you in such a way that gets you just right up to the exit but doesn't show you that there is an abundant life of, of formation underneath Jesus. Put it simply, the gospels preached in such a way where you can become a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus. You follow me? Okay. I hope and pray, I've prayed several times that this text would reveal something to you. That in your expectation, you might see that there are parts of you that are stuck on this five-mile hamster wheel that aren't yet experiencing the greatest adventure, Stephen Curtis Chapman, right? The greatest adventure available to you. Because again, you're his master plan. You're his plan A. You're it. And if Jesus is alive and he still has authority over your life, there's a path that's waiting for you. And that path is grounded in some of his last words, which is called the Great Commission. And so this text, I want to explore a couple things. I want to see what he says to us, and then I want to show us how we might have been given some bad directions when it comes to how formation finds itself in the way of church. Uh, there's a ministry called Replicate Ministries right, by Robbie Gallaty that have, have really exposed a couple of these things, and we expound upon them. And so I want to show you those things alongside this beautiful text if you guys are ready to explore with me. You guys ready? Okay, so let's, let me show you. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe. One more time. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, we see in verse 18 through 19a, Jesus expresses the greatest authority on the greatest adventure, right? Uh, Jesus now has received the fullest possible authority, right? To say all authority is kind of redundant and hilarious, honestly, because you said, I have authority. That gets the point across. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. He's making it clear that the limitations that have applied to throughout his incarnation no longer apply to him. He's the supreme authority over all the universe. You want to say the most controversial three words today to any other world religion? It's three words. Jesus is God. That'll cut out every other religion and brings you back to ours. Jesus is God. He's the supreme authority throughout the universe. And it's, it's... with that great authority, he gives us a two, two-letter command, and that first verb is what? Go. Great job. Go. You see it? To go towards other people. You can go the distance, and he reminds you at the front end, it's by my authority that you get to do that. I have the authority over you to go and make disciples. Now go help someone else by sherpaing them towards me. Go. Go implies that there needs to be a distance that's made, right? That there is a stepping toward, and I think the prevailing ploy of the enemy is to get us stuck spinning our wheels in church today to make it seem, make it seem like we are making ground when actually we're not going anywhere. We're stuck on those five miles. I took a a bike a bike trip with a couple guys, and one of the guys was from Britain. And uh, he, he, we were riding, and he turned to me and said, hey, so how did you train? How'd you train for this bike ride? And I said, well, you know, funny enough, I didn't have a bike, and so I uh, signed up for a six-month spin class. And him being from Britain, I don't know why, he said, what's a spin class? Now, I like explaining things, but this one was a stumper, honestly, because he said, what's a spin class? I said, well... It's, it's like getting in a a room full of people, and you're all riding bikes together. And he said, "Come again?" I go, "Well, you get in a room with a bunch of people and you're riding bikes." And he goes, "How big's this room?" I go, "Well, the bikes don't move. I mean, you're in it's kind of just it's really like a dance hall, really, with a mirror in the front of it, and you kind of just are riding bikes that stay still." He says, so you're not going anywhere. I go, well, no, not really. Uh, actually, the most exhilarating part of it is there's a woman that sits at the front usually with a Britney Spears mic, and she screams at you the whole time. And if you're really good, she'll throw a power bar at you at the end of class, and you get the, the power bar award. I don't know. And he was so confused, so confused. Because in spin class, you're not actually going anywhere. Look, there are no such thing as Peloton Christians. I'm sorry, Josh. I know you love Peloton. On a spin bike, you're not going anywhere. There's no going. It's, it's stationary. And, and this word should hit you like a bag of rocks, that there is a going involved, that there is a, a leaving where you currently are and engaging with somebody else. There's no such thing as spin class Christians. And this is what gets us to our first misconception about making disciples, and it's called the engagement Misconception. Some of you are already familiar with this because we talk about it in our church partnership. And this is the misdirection, the, the misconception, if you will, that church activity equals transformation. And it doesn't. Church activity does not equal transformation. Most churches are misdirected in a way where the collective activity of the church is measured, but the individual transformation of actual people isn't. They think they're coming and they're growing, but they're not. You, you realize that you could come, go to a church and listen to every podcast. You could jump into every, you know, 101 class. You could serve up anything. You could open doors and you could be here for 10, 15 years and you could remain someone who's an atheist or an agnostic, R- right? That just because you're doing stuff doesn't mean that you're being transformed by Jesus and so What's for Bible Church's scorecard here? If we don't measure ourselves on those four B's, what do you think we measure ourselves by? Since August 14, 2022, which is when we kind of soft launch, what do you think the question I've gotten the most is? I'm out at local foods eating my power salad, and someone comes and goes, oh, you're, you uh, started a church. What do you think the first question I get is? How many people are at your church? How many people are sitting in there? Why is it that we decided that that is the metric of success for a church? Anybody? Nobody, right? Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, why is that the metric of success? Let's do, let's do this. Let's do a biblical evaluation of Jesus' attendance here. Okay, attendance. At the height of Jesus' ministry, after John 6, he landed around 120 people, right? Outreach magazine's not saying, hey, Jesus, I want to write an article on you. That's amazing. 120 people, buildings, maybe another metric. How many buildings did he have? Matthew 8 says Jesus had no place to lay his head, no buildings. Cash, he chose an interesting treasurer, right? <laughs> Any of you okay? John 12, 16 says that his treasurer had a big hole in his pocket, right? We train people week in and week out and say, give it, give it a hand for all the people that came. And all we do is show them attendance. And there's something deeper. Jesus counted in a very different way. Fort Bible Church celebrates as a ministry team um, replication, formation, an apprenticeship of Jesus. More to that later. So the solution here is to push the finish line beyond the trailhead, right? Because a trailhead at a church is really the Sunday morning experience. You come in here and you enjoy the trailhead all with mountaintop and view, but nobody takes out their camping equipment inside the lobby of a trailhead facility, right? Right? Boy, you guys are I'm going to pass some coffee around instead of communion here. <laughs> nobody sleeps in a trailhead. You, you staying there is just like a hamster wheel, right? So when Jesus determines the health of our church, I love this quote from Galilee. When Jesus determines the health of our church, he's not going to count the Christians that are sitting in the room. He's going to weigh them. I'm going to say it one more time. When Jesus at the end of time, this is all over and none of this exists, he's not going to count. Be like, okay, one, two. He's not going to count how many people were at the church. He's going to weigh them for their depth in him. We have to train ourselves as a church to not be impressed by successes that don't accomplish the goal or mission and train ourselves uh, in a different way. So what's success for Fort Bible Church? Our success uh, will be measured across the board based on this text and every way by one thing. People going into discipleship relationships. People entering into, going, right, into discipleship relationships. When Jesus comes back to determine the health of our church, he's going to see the discipleship relationships that are driving people closer to him up the mountain and sherpa-ing them that way. Is sherpa-ing a verb? You think it's a verb? I'm down for it. So we're going to show, these, show the people for a Bible church the mountaintop and not just the trailhead facility as we jump into building and building. Now, the response I get to that every time, so you might be sitting there like, oh, I, I'm a, I might sign up for a discipleship relationship. That'd be cool, but I'm definitely not going to lead one. Only crazy people do those things, right? The first thing that you might hear in your head is, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not that person. Like, I I'm scared to jump into that because I'm not the expert. You know, Graham, you've got the degree and like you, you do the thing, you go minister to the people. And the prevailing response right now to the command go here is that I don't have the knowledge or acumen to step into a discipleship relationship. And I wanna challenge you here. Like I said earlier, Satan is going to do everything he can to bless that five miles before you actually entertain this verb going. He's going to bless the heck out of it. You'll have success on those five miles. But the thing that's going to keep you from entertaining the mountaintop, the journey towards the mountaintop, robbing you of the joy of that trail, is letting his whispers in in your head say that you're not ready to do it. He's going to do everything he can to say, like, well, I'm not, I can't, I'm not equipped to like meet with somebody at a coffee shop and disciple them. And I want to remind you, Psalm 110 says that the enemy is a footstool. And while we're on these, this subject, I want you to evaluate this and kind of use some of your own brain and experience to see if that footstool is becoming a foothold for you. That, that that's stopping you from entertaining the great commission because you're saying, well, I don't know if I can do it. Look, all authority, all authority and heaven and on earth has been given to you to go and make disciples. These are his last words. Typically authority dies with a leader, right? So, le- name a leader. When they die, their authority's gone. If Jesus is alive, is Jesus alive? you bet your bottom dollar he's alive. Jesus is alive praying for you at the right hand of the father. Then he is going to help push you out of your comfort zone to share. Something we say to our partners all the time is like, if you've got, you got John three sixteen down, you've got that one, you know, God's love the world. Great. You don't have that one. If you have Jesus loved the little children for the Bible tells me so, like if you got that, you've got something to offer to somebody. You've got something to offer to somebody. And I don't want that footstool to become a foothold to keep you from the Great Commission, which is the commandment to go. And so this is where the next misdirection comes. And I think Jesus is really piercing through this by saying, I'm giving you authority. And that is the lie that ministry excellence equals excellent ministry. Now don't hear what I'm, I'm not saying. We certainly need mature Christians leading, but this misdirection has stalled a lot of your summit seeking because the church tends to highlight people who are experts. I'm the guy. I've got the words. I know the stuff, but please, if you write down one thing, if you could just write down one thing, I'm going to ask you this week, did you write this down? Ministry is the pathway to maturity. Doing ministry, stepping in, asking somebody, hey, can we talk about this verse? That is that is the pathway to maturity. If someone's camping out at a trailhead facility, you would want to pull them out even just one step. And so if you're one step ahead, one, just one step, not that there's an ahead to this, don't take the illustration too far, but if you're one step outside of the trailhead facility, maybe invite one person with one verse and accomplish the mission that Jesus sent out for you. It's not just the staff. It's not just the people we pay. When we do that, it creates a cul-de-sac of consumerism where you actually never get on the trail and we're stuck on those five miles forever. So our mission is to empower people out of the trailhead facility to look back and be like, hey, why don't you come with me? Let me show you. But what this takes is a very special mindset because some of you would be like, I meet with somebody, but I don't know if I could believe in them that much. I mean, they're crazy, you know? The reality is they need people who are gonna peer into their future and see who they can be in Christ. Think about uh, Peter, right? Jesus comes to Peter in Matthew 6, 13 and says, hey, you're the rock in which I'll build my church. I'm gonna build the church off you. Do you know what happens like the next verse? He totally rebukes him, which is not a good move for you know the king of the universe. And then later, he gets interrogated by a middle school girl who says, do you know Jesus? He goes, I don't know who Jesus is. He's afraid of a middle school girl in the midst of denying him. That's the guy Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon you. Do you see? Jesus looked at Peter, peered through all of his mistakes and shortfallings, and saw him as the man he is to be in Christ, and didn't treat him as the man he was. That's a hard activity to do, but I know that he empowers us to do it. People need to be reminded of the mission of seeking the lost and growing the found. That's the mission of Fort Bible Church that gets them off the sidelines, and God's gonna use all of them, every bit of them, all of you and your past to be a hiking hero maker, to show them the mission that gets them off the path. You realize the question really isn't what would Jesus do, like the bracelet says. The question is what would Jesus do if he were you? If he had all that you have, if he worked where you worked, if he drove what you drove, if he made what you made, if, he, if, if he has, the family that, that you have is the family he had, like what would he do in your sphere? Which leads us to the greatest assignment, verse 19b through 20a. I know you're like, boy, he just went through one word there of the Bible. I'm going to be here for four hours. Uh, 19b through 20a. making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Typically, right after you tell people that you have all the authority in the world, you tell them how you're gonna exercise that authority, right? If I said, I'm the boss of this place, here's what we're gonna do. I'm Round up and we're gonna do this. But here, the movement is interesting. He doesn't display how he's going to use this authority. Namely, he displays how he's going to use that authority through you. And in this gospel, the disciples, both the learner and the follower, the Sherpa and the person being sherpa the life of a disciple is different because of your attachment to the person who has authority. Here he's describing not just... Um, a relationship between you and someone who's learning, but a whole lifestyle change of doing what he did and loving like he loved. But I really want you to look at the text, because this is very convicting for me. It says, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And there's a difference. There's a difference between teaching and training right? Teaching someone to do something and training someone to do something. If I went to my son Mac and said, hey, turn the stove on to level six and take out the cast iron, which is probably not the most smart decision. If I said do that, he'd be like, what's a stove, right? Like he wouldn't know. You have to go and tell him and show him what's going on. Some of you guys know I did high school ministry for a long time and I started to realize as I meditated on this and as God started to revealed to me what formation looks like in the, in the life, in the spiritual life, um, I realized that I'm, I was good at teaching people what Jesus commanded them to do, but not how to obey what he commanded them to do. And there's a huge difference. It's one thing to grab somebody like, hey, you want to come to Starbucks? You know, Jesus tells you, just don't be anxious, man. How's that working out? Right? <laughs> How's that working out for you? It's another thing to sit with somebody, listen to their hurts, their trials, and walk them through a life of living that's a non-anxious presence. It's one thing to look at a high schooler and say, you know man, Jesus says, stop watching porn. That's what he says. If you've ever been in high school ministry, how's that working out for you? That's convicting. It's another thing entirely to sit with them and lead them up a mountain of freedom away from addiction. It's one thing to say, well, you know what Jesus says, you should love your enemy. It's another thing to walk with somebody through their past wounds, watching them maybe lash out irrationally in front of you and then watch their their wounds become sacred wounds that Jesus uses which is why here we talk about all the time, and he's clearly explaining, as he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That I love hearing about the day you became a convert, right? You're converted. But we're here to create followers who obey and disciple. There's one thing to say, like, hey, Johnny, here's a lollipop. Do you want to heaven or eternal damnation? It's one thing to create converts, it's another to chirp a followers, and that's what Jesus did with his whole life, which is why we care more about your marriage to Jesus than your wedding day. If anybody, if anybody shares a testimony at 4 Bible Church, you know that they're sharing about their relationship to Jesus, the ups and downs, not just the day that they're like, yep, that was the day, it was awesome. But Jesus isn't speaking about education for education's sake. He's talking about observing. He's concerned about a way of life for you. All the things. He says, all that I have commanded to you is his whole counsel, all of his doctrine, every interaction. Learning what it looks like to interact with others the way he interacted with them. Which leads us to a third kind of misconception of church and discipleship. And that is that teaching equals training. And it doesn't. They're two very different things. To teach somebody how to follow Jesus and train them how to follow Jesus is very different. My dad, some of you guys know My dad, Robert, is a uh, a golf professional. Yes, he's from Scotland. It's hard to understand what he's saying. And imagine you're trying to take up a new skill of golf, right, you're trying to take up golf. And I come to you and I say, okay, here's what I want you to do. You're gonna learn how to play golf. Tiger 2.0, well, maybe not Tiger, somebody else. You're gonna be a golf professional you got this. What I want you to do is for 52 weeks on every Sunday, I want you to go listen to a lecture about golf. That's going to be about 40 to 45 minutes. Then after that, I want you to sing two, two and a half songs that kind of just repeat the same words over and over again. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to listen to those songs. You're going to sing those songs about golf. And after about five months of that, once you've, really understood golf, then what I want you to do is I want you to go through a membership class to learn more about golf. After that, and if you complete the membership class, the 4.0 thing, you know what you get to do? You get to hold a door for people who are going to be listening about golf. Does that sound familiar? Look, do we have a process for teaching people the spiritual disciplines that Jesus gave us to live this life? How many of you guys have been on a mission trip before? Okay, great. If you've been on a mission trip before, you know that when you go, before you go on a mission trip, you talk about what you're gonna share, how you're gonna share it. And then you go and practice that thing. That's why training and teaching are two very different things. And so at Fort Bible Church, our ministries are measured not by their effectiveness to just teach, but to train, to train them and show them what training really looks like and their walk with Jesus, to give them opportunities to practice and get feedback on disciple-making skills, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. Which is why for us, one of the elements of discipleship success for us is closed, high-accountable groups called discipleship groups, which are creating environments for busting through this equipping myth. This is a phase to launch ministries that are all pointed in one direction, that you might be in a closed group of people who are Sharing with each other this, and leading each other into a life of formation. Hallerman wrote a book called "When the Church is a Family." It's fantastic, um, and this is what he says about interpersonal relationships, which is our goal. At Ch- Church made personal is to gr- get you into interpersonal relationship. He says long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay also grow. People who leave do not grow. We all know people who are consumed with spiritual wanderlust, but we never get to know them very well because they can't seem to stay put. They move along from church to church, ever searching for a congregation that will better satisfy their felt needs. Like trees repeatedly transplanted from soil to soil, these spiritual nomads fail to put down roots and seldom experience lasting and fruitful growth in their Christian lives. You want to grow, you have to be known. This last week, I got a... If someone calls our Google number for some... how, I don't know how it works. They, it calls my cell phone. So it's like driving. And they go, hey, are you here? Are you at Fort Bible Church? I'm like, yeah. And they go, kind of tell me about you a little bit. And I go, well, we're a church. We're church-made personal. We just believe that everybody, you know, just like when we were first created, we're, we're made to be naked and unashamed by just kind of, and you know, exposed to people. Our hearts are exposed to them. And you, there's this dead silence. And they go... Are you a nudist church? I go, no, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you didn't have a Christian background. I'm so sorry. Let me explain to you, Genesis <laughs> 1. No, I I was like, or two. And so we really believe that interpersonal relationships of being known is crucial to this happening. Like why else would he give that command to those twelve men? And this is beautiful because it's tailor-made to you. I love that he gave this to them individually, and that we can see in the scriptures their individual paths of empowerment by him to accomplish the mission, which leads us to um, the empowerment myth. See, if you read the Bible, you're going to see that every person that Jesus had prepared fruit in advance for had a very different journey. Peter, like I said, took it took being scolded by a middle school girl. For Thomas, it took doubt for paul it took being knocked off a donkey there is beauty in this individuality of each path sherpaing people and being sherpa which is why this kind of this second to last uh, misconception is that filling spots equals empowering people which it doesn't every person has been given unique talents and abilities and testimonies and turmoils that activates their God-given calling to make a difference in their workplace, neighborhood, and communities. Again, if Jesus were to live as you, what would he do? So it's important for us that you discover your God-given calling. It says in Ephesians 4 that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers who are made, you're made for the, the growing of the body of Christ. And so something that we say at Four Bible Church is we're trying to help you discover you're made for this moment. What is it that you're made for? What's your made for this moment? Honestly, that's my only goal. Like I, I love the thought of seeing somebody find they're made for this moment. You were made different to make a difference. And we need your gift. We need your story. We need your trial, your sickness, your hurts, your wins. We need your shape, your personality. You're a member of the body. So when we build up in unity, we need you to take hold of the reason why he took hold of you. So what's your made for this moment? Meredith Haller, you're made for connection. Whitney Menchez, you're made to teach the Bible. Glenn Harwell's made to take his loving kindness sledgehammer to the hearts of callous men. Corbin Wilson is made to sow seeds of true empathy in a world of pseudo-interest. Addison Glazier, you're made to help females experience freedom that comes from the boundaries set by their father. Bobby Crow, back there, you're made to show up in someone's life when no one else will. Christy Beck, you're made to empower people through empower others to a life of truth and grace. Hayden Morris, you're made to truly listen to others' hurts, helping their wounds become sacred wounds. Ashton Breeding, you're made to winsomely inject Jesus and carry your grandpa's legacy forward. Samson, you're made to shoulder others' burdens, just like Galatians says. Katie Coleman, you're made to win others over with that winsome smile to the depths of grace. Tracy Jenkins is made to be a truth teller. If you know Tracy Jenkins, you'd laugh at that one. (laughs) Kenzie Simple's made to get people out of surface level relationships. Karen Barber, you're made to inspire women to emotional health. That's what you're made for. You're made for these moments. The Meredith is the first one I mentioned. I just love this text I got from her. I want you to see what, re- what we're really measuring at Ford Bible Church. Listen, I'm going to read this out loud. Sorry, uh, Meredith, I'm going to read your text. So I've literally spent, this is what she said, so I've literally spent the last four or five hours at the TCU Bookstore and now at is reading and rereading all the material for the Partners classes, which is our, like, kind of welcome class. The last couple of weeks have been crazy for me with the culmination of many months of preparation for the closing of my parents and my child at home. Yesterday, I punched my mom and wife time card, which is brilliant, a little before 2 p.m. today to get away, to pour into myself and see what I'm agreeing to as being a partner for Bible Church. I've also done so to slow my ADHD brain down after a total chaos in my brain these last two years. Yes, years. Today has helped me realize even more, my longing to share Christ with others, to relish in the life that he has created for me. I've always desired to be able to share more of his word, but have never had the confidence to do so. I grew up in church, but my inability to remember and retain the stories and scripture in my head has produced an insecurity about me doing so. The short of the long of my babbling just now, I, would, I know I would benefit greatly from an intro discipleship class I know this is someone's gift and I'd love for them to share this gift with me and others who struggle with this as well. Do you feel that? That that's something that she's finding a place where she's made for a purpose in life that exists not here, right? In navel gazing, but exists up here and out there. That's where your purpose exists. That's where it's founded. And she, I love her honesty to be like I was I'm stuck on the 5 miles. And I want to engage in this because I know there's purpose out there for me. So how do we do that? Well, for Bible Church, uh, it's important that we don't just give you a smorgasbord of things that you can kind of pick from to just thrust you into uh, activity. But we want to show you, we want to show you what personal disciple making looks like, and that it's not a menu. It's not a menu of things you get to pick from. It's a map. It's a map that's leading you somewhere. And that entire way, he's with you, which leads us to our last part of the verse, the greatest assurance, verse 20b. And behold, this is Jesus. He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, the disciples not going to just serve God by themselves, that he is with them constantly and he's never going to withdraw his presence from them. He's always going to be with them, which leads us again to our last kind of uh, misdirection. And that is that, um, church impact equals ministry ownership, and this one's hard for people to understand. So if you would just follow me along, F- the kingdom's not about four Bible church, right? Four Bible church is about the kingdom. Let me fo- follow you here. Follow me here. If you aim, if you aim to build the church, you may miss the kingdom. If you aim to build the kingdom, you're probably going to build the church. Did that land at all? Okay, great. That, we are kingdom builders. We don't care if it's in here or out there. We just want you to build the kingdom. There are, there's a confusion here that we have to own all the ministry impact. The church has to own the impact. But really for you to own ministry, it's a personal thing, which is why he, he gives you that assurance that I'll be with you in that scary conversation you have with a guy at the water cooler or, or on the golf course. I'm going to be with you when you're there ministering to your children. I'm going to be with you wherever you go to share and to go. The church here celebrates when you find a custom plan for kingdom impact that you're going to make on your circle of influence, and I don't care if it's here. There's a guy that goes to church here. His name's Gordy. He's a partner. We've had, some, had people kind of go to different churches, they've checked us out, they've gone to their churches, that's great, and somebody left and hadn't kind of got engaged in a church, and so he just kept discipling them. What a win. I, I don't care if they're here or not, he's discipling them. I want them to be in a church, don't get me wrong, don't hear what I'm not saying, but I want him to own his ministry even if it's outside these doors. So we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry by showing them a map, And the beauty of where we're at as a church is that we get to rethink this and build it and take it down and and figure out what a map looks like. A menu of cheesecake factory options, right, isn't going to deploy people as much as a, what's your ministry ownership look like? Let's help you find a contextual, personal, disciple-making plan that you own. And so uh, we've made a map. We've, we've literally made a map. Chelsea Chase created a map. Thank you. Uh, and I wanted to show you guys that map uh, today. This is our Sherpa-ing map. This is the ministries that we're starting at Four Bible Church to uh, lead you up the mountain in the likeness of Christ. I know it's a little hard to see, but I'll, I'll just point it out here. This bottom part is the trailhead facility where we kind of come. I was down here somewhere. Um, and then... Uh, Obviously, the top of the mountain is the likeness of Christ, and how are we getting people up that mountain? Well, our, we had 75 of our partners learn and are deployed to be Sherpas in our church to lead people up the mountain, to disciple them. And so, there, so the different colors, are different trails, the pink one's women's, uh, green one's men's, uh, orange is outreach, the blue is learning community, so the Sunday school classes that start next week, I think. Uh, Home to Home is uh, the light blue one, and then Home Groups is the yellow one, which launches October 1st as well. Each of these are just different paths up the mountain of Christ, and if you uh, zoom in to uh, the second one, you see that there's these outposts along every path, and the goal is for all of our ministries to not be siloed, but pointing in one direction to say, hey, I've noticed you've been coming to our breakfast on Thursdays. Lance, Lance Leonard's has a breakfast even this Thursday at Old South. They sit in the back room. It smells a little bit like smoke, but it's awesome. Uh, you, they kind of study the, uh, they're going through a book right now. And so they can go to that for a while, but at some point, a leader in that ministry is gonna say, have you ever, have you ever jumped into like a discipleship relationship? You've kind of been coming to his breakfast for like a year now. I think, I think it'd be great for you to get into a little bit smaller group where you're known. And so every path leads to a discipleship group in our church. That's the game. That's the end-all be-all for right now. And so if that's not for you to be personally known in a small group of people, then you can stick around for a while. We're just going to press on you to to jump into that uh, more and more. And so the goal is to get people to leave base camp or trailhead facility. Walk up a path until you're ready to be actually known and learn and study the Bible and understand what practicing looks like. In a couple weeks, we start our prayer practice uh, for how many weeks? Six weeks. Six weeks, we're going through the practice of prayer so we could observe all that he's commanded us to talk to our Father. And so we're showing you a map, not a menu that you read, but a map that facilitates you going somewhere in your spiritual journey towards Christ. I want to close with this. Ephesians 4, uh, the message version is, is beautiful. Um, this is it here. It says, out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text is this. So he's quoting an Old Testament text. He climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and seized the plunder. He handed out gifts to all the people. This is Jesus. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven. And he handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his, with his gifts. He handed out gifts of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, which is all of you to train Christ's followers and a skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, and so we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without. Fully alive like Christ. Anybody in to be fully alive like Christ? I'm telling you, it starts after the five-mile hamster wheel that we get caught in so frequently here. That day, I reached the top of the mountain, but it would have been impossible for me to do so without the guidance of a, someone to Sherpa and guide me. I got a picture of the back of that person. I don't even have his face. His name was Gabriel, actually, which is hilarious. Uh, Laughter. I have some golden tablets here. We're going (laughs) to. This is your calling. If you say I'm a Christian, this is your calling. It's your purpose to know him and make him known. That day in the mountain road, as I approached the 14,000 foot mountain, that man came behind me and said, Let me show you the way. He gave me water, he gave me food most importantly, he gave me fellowship as he sherpered with me up the mountain that I might see the peak and enjoy all that God wanted me to enjoy that day. Who are you shirpying? Who are you sherping? Remember, he's in front of you. He's following you. Now let's get beside somebody else. Let me pray. God, what a convicting, and lofty goal you've set for us. But not impossible. Because you are the authority over our lives and you empower us to accomplish your mission. I'm so glad that my friends in this room are your plan A. Would we own it? Would we own it? And we realize that our life is most full when it's fulfilling the great commission. The great adventure is there for us to hold in Christ Jesus by the power of His Spirit. I just pray that my friends get out of the stands, get on the sidelines, or just at least ask somebody, how do I get in the game? so we can accomplish what you left us to accomplish, might see love abound in this city, joy increase, and Christians living out their birthright to Sherpa Well. Convict us even now, Jesus, and may we submit to you even more. In your name we pray, amen.